you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Erin, welcome to The Damn Show. We have been friends for so many years. I know so much about you. If somebody were like, who the hell is is Erin and what is Raw Beauty? Would you give us a little rundown of who the heck you are and what we're, what we're doing here today? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've obviously been listening to it since you started and have always been such a fan of everything that you put out into the world, but then also it's such a treat to know you more personally as well. So just love, love, love everything that you're doing. I, wow. Who is Aaron? That's such a big question. You know what? It's a huge question. It's an intimate, (laughs) I'm like, tell me your life story. You have 30 seconds. No, no, no. But like, let's be real for a second. Raw beauty and your page on Instagram, which has, you know, hundred over a hundred thousand followers on it. You, you were one of the original accounts to start talking about bodies, featuring bodies in in different ways, in different angles, and kind of collectively bringing people together into this conversation. Maybe let's start with why you ever decided to do that and the roots of your own story that kind of made that come to be. Because nowadays, we've seen a lot more of these pages start up. But for anybody who's been in any type of body hate or, or body discussions in any way, is very aware of the impact of raw beauty and its origin. So I would love to hear, because I actually don't know this full story of why you why you started it in the first place. I think like so many people, this whole journey for me began with my own story around accepting my body and really repairing my relationship with food. I grew up in Vancouver, BC and had a relatively normal upbringing. Like, I mean, all of us have kind of crazy wild things, but nothing like catastrophic or super traumatic. I did a lot of dance and 
I remember looking at magazines at the time, 17, YM, and comparing myself to the girls in the images and thinking, wow, yeah, like these girls have it all. They're gorgeous. They have the most amazing clothes. Their lives seem so exciting and they're flying off to all these cool places. And because from a very young age, I was tall and thin, Adults would in moments be like, oh, she's going to be a model. She, she's going to, that's, that's your life path. Like it's all, every person who saw me right away was like, you're so tall and thin. And so I was doing dance, which again is really focused on your body performing in certain ways and looking a certain way. There's also all these girls that are doing it with you. So the comparison game starts to come into play. I remember, you know, really wanting to do so well at dance. And again, these magazines reading things like the fastest way to lose five pounds in five days, or here's how to get rock hard abs in 30 minutes. What, I mean, we've all heard those things now it's all over Instagram and all of these other spaces. And so what began as really wanting to just be a little bit quote unquote healthier, really quickly spiraled into a pretty severe eating disorder. I was diagnosed as anorexic and in grade 11. And what went from just sort of being aware of what foods I was eating, wanting to lose a little bit of weight off my hips, went into a space where I couldn't stop thinking about food. I was constantly counting calories. I was weighing myself multiple times a day. I went from a straight A student to barely scraping by because I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't stay focused. I had to drop out of dance, drop out of all, you know, the activities that I loved so much. And what I thought was going to bring me happiness, success, more popularity, a sense of confidence, all of these things literally took me further and further and further and further away from all of those things. Slowly, steadily, it took away all of my joy all of my happiness. I lost my period. My organs started shutting down. I was growing hair all over my body. I knew that I looked way too skinny and unhealthy and I wanted to stop, but it was like the thoughts were so intrusive. I couldn't stop that voice that was telling me, don't eat, don't do it. Save that for the birthday party that you're going to tomorrow night because you should eat something there. Everybody's going to be noticing it. And so I remember this moment, I was in such denial that I had a problem. I continuously pushed away anybody who asked me, you know, if if anything was wrong or how they could help. And I remember a moment and just sitting down with my mom and being like, there's something wrong with my brain. I can't stop thinking about food and my body. And I'm so tired, but I also was so scared to eat. I was so scared of food. I was so scared of gaining weight. And so I ended up being hospitalized and I spent three months in an inpatient program in hospital in BC, which was one of the scariest things that I've ever gone through, like going into that environment, leaving the safety of home, having to confront something that I was so afraid of. You know, everyone always says when they see somebody who's thin, she should just eat a hamburger or why doesn't she just eat something? Remember my poor dad who like did not understand what was going on at all was like, why don't we just go for a run? Then maybe your appetite will pick back up again. I mean, I was like fainting at this point whenever I would stand up, but there's so much misinformation around what's actually happening when you have an eating disorder. So the hospital program was the best thing ever for me. I got back up to a healthy, healthier weight, 
But when I left, my relationship with food was still complicated as it is with so many women. And I found myself in this place where I was sort of eating what had been prescribed to me, trying to follow this plan, but also trying to eat clean and healthy. And then this time around, I would find myself in, especially in the evenings or whenever I was drinking, you know, in my early twenties, as we do, just binging on anything I could get my hands on going through multiple drive-throughs, all in secret, all on my own, hiding all of the evidence, putting all the packaging deep into the garbage, and then just feeling so ashamed. Like I was the ugliest, most disgusting person that I just had no self-control. Why are all these other girls able to do this? Why is this so hard for me? Why do I keep failing? And I think when on the inside you feel like you're so wrong and like you've failed and you just can't do it. You see yourself, you see the exterior differently. So I didn't even look that different than I do right now. But what I saw in the reflection in the mirror, I just, I mean, I just could not stand the way that I looked the cellulite on my legs. Like, I don't know, everything seemed magnified and amplified. And Um, And so then the next morning I would wake up and do it all again, like punish myself at the gym, try and cut back on what I was eating and then find myself binging again. And I kind of thought, this is just the cycle that I'm going to be in. And this is, it's also confusing because a lot of the eating habits and tendencies that you're doing, your friends are doing it as well, or they're doing the wild ride. It feels very normal, doesn't it? Yeah. We're we're like all, everyone's doing the juice cleanse right now or cabbage soup or whatever it is. I even remember reading an article once and it's like the reason that you snack more at nighttime is because uh, self-control is like a muscle and it gets weaker as it gets tired or so the closer to bedtime you are. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I mean, the accounts that, and everyone's like, that makes so much sense. That's why I'm binging so much. And I not even thinking maybe I'm deprived and my body is literally on alarm. Yes. We really normalize it amongst each other for sure. It is. It's so normalized. And, and there's so much quote unquote evidence to back up why we would do these things, like why we need to cleanse our bodies or why we need to do this or that. And so we believe it. And what I've learned over time is that it's really the restriction, the limiting, the uh, removal of food, even if it's just mentally that we're like restricting ourselves, it's almost like a pendulum swinging. So when we restrict, it pulls the pendulum in one direction and then we, and then it swings further in the other direction. And so it's all of this dieting, which to be clear, we're not just talking about like Atkins diets. It's clean eating, whole foods only, this kind of food is bad. Don't have any carbohydrates after this time, only eat after 11. Like all of this dialogue is a form of restriction. Our bodies are designed not only to survive, but to thrive. And in order for them to do that, they're built to need water, sleep, and food at the most basic level. So when we start to remove the food, we go into overdrive in the other direction, trying to get it. I've even read, I read an article once. I used to be a food writer actually. And I studied so many different diets and the roots of them and why they exist and what are they and what foods are you going to be having on them? And one thing that came I came across once that truly stuck with me is, you know, when somebody deprives themselves of one category, I'm going to use carbs as an example, because that's a really, really common one. And then all of a sudden they engage with that food again. And they'll be like, oh, they just taste so much better now. I didn't realize that science 
scientifically or from what I've read that your body is actually in giving that response that this food tastes so good because it's trying to get you to eat more. It needs it so badly. And because we've restricted it to be introduced to it again, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to have it. And I even was like reading, you know, this time of year, everyone's talking about Halloween candy and, you know, all of our different feelings around that. And I saw Riley Laster, she she did this whole post and she was like, you realize this candy is available to you all year round. It's just in new packaging and it's in your house. Do not like make yourself start exercising a certain way for a certain thing or feeling a certain way about this. Like I don't remember her whole thing because I can't pull it up. But I was like, you're right. This literally exists all year round and we restrict and restrict and restrict. And then all of a sudden to engage with it is what feels like it's unsafe. It's un. Our bodies don't even know how to generate it. We're just like, this tastes so good. I'm not going to have this again until next year. I need to have as much as I can. This is the cycle of what binge eating on like a smaller scale or a larger scale can be. But we see binging as a binge and purge. And so it can be really normalized in day to day to kind of go through like a really, um, you know, for me, my biggest, I'll, I'll be honest with everyone right now, I really struggle eating during the day because I'm so busy to pause yeah. and to eat. Yeah. So nighttime, I would categorize it almost as a binge, but it's my body literally in survival mode being like, you need sustenance. You don't have enough. And then I have headaches and then my week is derailed. And I have to literally have, I'm not kidding. People around me now, my whole team, everyone is like now on assignment to be like, have you eaten? What have you eaten? Have you had anything to drink? Are you doing, because this is how unregulated I've become in my relationship with food. And when we have conversations like this, it really brings that awareness to the forefront. I feel like when folks are listening to something like this, you and I are having this discussion about it, but to us, it's almost common language discussions because we've both been in a form of healing for years. But for people listening, this is potentially brand new information. It's, it's brand new awareness around their own relationships with food to the point that I've yet to meet a woman who is not in or has participated in a form of disordered eating. I honestly, it is so rare. And like you, I've talked to hundreds of women over the last 10 years about this conversation. And, and the couple of women that I'm thinking about who've had a relatively easy, simple relationship with food, it's not like they don't know 10 people who have not had that experience. So this is something that impacts so many people. I love the example that you just gave around the Halloween candy. And as I was reflecting on that, I'm like, it's so crazy how really this is a conversation that comes up seasonally. It's like we have Halloween and then we go into Christmas and there's so much dialogue around Christmas of how to engage at the Christmas parties without overdoing it and how to, you know, keep control over the holidays. How many crunches do you need to do to eat that crunchy bar? (laughs) Totally. And, or just go for it, enjoy the holidays. But then what's right after the holidays, New Year's, where we get a whack load of information and dialogue about how to sort of repent from what we've done over the holidays. And then we have this whole season. It's really wild when you think about how this impacts us, not only on a day-to-day basis, but even in the rotation of the seasons. Like right now we're talking about Halloween and then we move into Christmas and Christmas and the holiday season, which is there's dialogue either about 
making sure that you don't overdo it at the holiday functions and that you can, we can all fix what we've done wrong over the holiday season. And then we head into spring, which is all about getting our bodies ready for the summer so that we can enjoy ourselves. And then after summer, it's like, okay, everybody needs to hibernate again and just take a breather. It's just crazy to me how much time and energy we put as women into our bodies and this relationship that we have with food. And it is not our fault as women that this is the narrative that we're having to play out, that this is the role that we're having to play out. We've been taught for decades and decades that our appearance and our body and the way that we look is our greatest value. And so we're just doing what good girls are supposed to do and, and playing into that role. And it's very hard to break free from that because we know that with appearance comes a certain amount of privilege in this society. We're treated differently. Women are treated differently when they come in a certain body size or when they look a certain way. That's a conversation that I'd love to have because it's something that I've been exploring a lot as a tall, thin white woman who was born into a body and a space of a lot of privilege. Now, sometimes when I talk about this on my Instagram, people are like, see, you're saying that looking the way that you do is a privilege. And what I'm saying is that there are certain things that I receive and have experienced in this body because of the way that I look or things that I haven't had to experience because of the way that I look. And that is due to the way that the world is set up right now. Like I don't have to think about it when I go shopping as to whether or not a store will have something that will fit me. I've received jobs at restaurants that hire people. I would never apply for these jobs nowadays, but in my early 20s, I was being a good girl where I got job offers based on the way that I look. I've also been rejected many times because of the way that I look in certain jobs that I was going for. But regardless, there's a privilege that comes. You can ride on airplanes the same, trains the same. I've had the same conversations. There is so much and it's and it's, I think it's reminded down to it is still a struggle. It's not negating that struggle happens. Obviously, you know, you know it. You you lived those days in the hospital. You lived through a body that had shutting down organs. You understand the need is there for bodies at all size. It's just that with this, you don't also have and the world is also trying to exclude you from participating in it. So when we have conversations, and I I have to really be aware of this myself too, is like we have conversations where it's like, just wear the crop top, like just wear the shorts. I'm also like, but also acknowledge like not everybody can even find that. Not everybody has the opportunity to go into the mall and try on that thing. Or, you know, even as something as simple as like traveling and going to see the world is a very different experience for so many different people. And, and this does come down to your body. So you can have this internal struggle with yourself. It can be with, you know, it, it can come down to really, really serious ways and terms. And then there's also people who are struggling with eating disorders in larger bodies, and they're not even being listened to because they're in a larger body where people are like, maybe an eating disorder would actually be good for you. There is so much disgusting narrative around a society that is, is systematically built to only reward when you are thin. And this is not only perpetuating hate towards those in larger bodies and the loss of human rights and medical rights uh, for those in larger bodies, it is also making it um, 
It's also creating fat phobia for those in thinner bodies that is creating more and more disordered eating and eating disorders across the board. So it is it is a collaboratively collective issue. And it is also very different if you're in a larger body because you can't even step out your door safely. Um, you're not represent. It, it is, I think this is great to acknowledge because there is going to be those who immediately will see your page and go, well, you are. And I had this conversation with Victoria Garrick recently, like you're the body ideal. How are you having this conversation? Like where, where do you fall in this? And this is what I think a lot of people are also finding themselves struggling with. How do I even acknowledge that I'm in this difficult relationship with food or that I'm in a difficult relationship with my body, that my marriage is struggling because I refuse to be seen, touched, heard. I am shutting people out. I am I'm dieting, not just dieting anymore. My whole life is revolving around this. Even down to, you know, as many people know, I have somebody really close to me um, that I grew up with. I don't, I'm pretty sure she's given me consent to say who it is, but just in case I won't say. The temperature of your body isn't the same. You don't have hunger cues anymore. Like you said, the hair on a body grows more. It is, it is a, the death rate among, do you know actually the stats around because I, I remember reading that um, eating disorders were the number one, the number one mental health crisis to result in death. Yeah. I don't know the exact percentage, but I do know that it is the leading cause of death in regards to a mental health concern of youth. And it's, it's something that often once somebody struggled with an eating disorder kind of repeats over and over and over again throughout their life. So it's, I don't, I mean, there's eating disorders, which is one category, but 70% of women are struggling with disordered eating. So I think that number is way higher. It, I think it is. Like I, mean, I said, I haven't met somebody who doesn't. It's crazy. It's, I mean, every single woman, woman for the most part in Western America is struggling with this issue at some level and has a complicated relationship with food at some level. I'm so glad that we're talking about this because you said that there's this conversation happening of, do I get to have a voice in this conversation as a woman who is in a specific body? And I've grappled with that a lot. I've found myself for years. So going back to the, to the beginning of raw, um, I was recovering from this disordered eating that I now had. It wouldn't have been classified as an eating disorder and looking at these magazines and recognizing how much they were impacting me. And I was like, I need a space online that showcases beautiful, empowering images of women, but the images have got to be more raw, like no editing, no makeup, no filters. I think at the time it was either these highly produced images that we saw in magazines or the alternative was stars. They're just like us and capturing celebrities Uh, in their most awkward moments ever. And I was like, I want beautiful images of women where we We need see ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle. So we started raw as an interview series and we photographed over 200 women across North America, as far as Europe and Africa and had these really beautiful, honest, real conversations about our bodies and self-love and confidence. 
And I learned so much in those interviews. Um, I really heard and saw for the first time that this is something that impacts everyone, no matter what size your body is, no matter what skin color you have. Yes, it absolutely is harder for certain body types. There's no doubt about that. But suffering and struggle is part of being human. And so I don't think it's fair for anybody to have to feel those things about their body and the way that they look when that's just such a surface level representation of who we are as beings. So I got to a point after doing these interviews for a few years, really, that I was like, I cannot talk to another woman who feels this way about her body and herself without having some tools to help her move forward, to have some research-based, evidence-based tools that we know are going to really help her reconnect with herself, learn how to eat intuitively, build a mindset that, yeah, is going to have self-doubt here and there, but that can see her worth beyond just the way that she looks. And so I built a program called the Raw Beauty Reset with the help of registered dietitian, Ali Eberhardt, who is absolutely incredible. And Dr. Hillary McBride, who's a body image psychologist and, um, the raw beauty reset is I've been running for two years now and have had over 500 women join me through that of all different sizes and shapes. And it's, I mean, I think now what I've come to in this whole conversation is this is the body that I was born into. And with it comes a privilege. I can either shut up and be quiet and, you know, sink into the background because I'm not really supposed to have a voice in this conversation in this moment. And I completely agree and understand that the body positivity movement is not for me. And it's, and that's okay. That's totally fine. And I respect that. And I lift those women who really belong in that space, but I also have more passion and drive in this area. And Um, I can use the privilege that I have to extend my voice and the tools that I have to more women and to serve others. And so that's where I come from now is not a place of being ashamed of this, which I've really had to work through, which sounds weird to some people and you might roll your eyes, but I will use the platform that I have and the body that I have. And if that attracts attention, great. And I'm going to use it in order to serve and help and support people in feeling better in their body in the way that they feel about themselves. I mean, as a health coach for me now, it's all about supporting women in uh, really seeing and knowing themselves at a much deeper level than what they look like. Like that is the surface level stuff that we've got to get through in order to really see women fucking stand up to the plate, find their voice, find their strength, their power, what they're passionate about. And from there, I mean, We need women standing in that place now more than ever. This world is breaking apart at the seams and we need women who recognize their strengths and who can stand up to the plate and, and, and show up in whatever way feels right for them, whether that's at the home, you know, having conversations with their kiddos or their partners, or whether that's being out on a stage somewhere or hosting a podcast, whatever it looks like. We need women who are able to look beyond the number on the scale or the size of their pants, because that stuff is distracting us from 
really doing what we were meant to oh, do. It's the, I, Jamila Jamila said this one time on my podcast where she was like, it's just a massive distraction. And I, and I can't stop thinking about that. I, I've never, not a day goes by that when I stand in the mirror or I get frustrated with my pants and all of this stuff, or I think about what is this person going to think if they see me in public and da, da, da. What an effing distraction. This is, this, this is what we were, born and bred to do that our purpose is our bodies. Well, that just brings our purpose away from what our purpose really is. And who the heck is profiting off of this and who is, you know, generating uh, income off of us and this predatory way. And who is the one who is really gaining more privilege by making us this distracted by our bodies. And this is why I think when it comes to body image stuff, it, it is collectively all of our jobs. This is not a burden for certain members of society to carry. It is all of our jobs to come to the plate and and speak up. You know, recently a, a friend of mine struggled in a in a shopping store. They they stopped carrying her size in store. And I was like, my size is still there. It's still my effing problem. It is my problem because my friend can no longer shop with me. So what am I going to do about this? And I freaking got on the horn. I, you know, nobody sees this stuff, but this is, this is the behaviors that we need to, and not to toot my own horn a little bit, but you, you do, you have to start acting in moments like that. You've got to call up um, that store. You've got to get on social media. You, If you see, I somebody said this to me once, like I asked in terms of like ableism and, and what, like how do you be an advocate for more? And they're like, just pay attention to the world. Pay attention to where ramps aren't so that you're asking for it and not us, that we don't have to move through this world constantly asking. And, and I think this is kind of where we all collectively can kind of get on the same page. Like we have certain levels of privilege and, and struggle and whatnot, but we can all get on the same page where it's like, we all deserve to be here. We all deserve to exist and move through this world in our bodies. And a big distraction is our bodies. And our biggest grapple with that often is food and exercise. This week's episode is brought to you by Artifact Uprising. Artifact Uprising makes premium photo books, framed photos, and gifts to help you tell the stories that you care about the most. I'll be honest, I let so much of our story live digitally that I kind of forgot the importance of print, especially when my kids got a little bit older and wanted to ask about their childhood. And I'm like, hold on, let me scroll and find it. We ended up printing and doing so many amazing things using original types of media, which was print. I love it so, so much. And with gift season coming up, I think it's a great way to commemorate, to memorialize, to relive moments that are big or small and relive the joy in print. The signature Flatlay photo album, it has heirloom qualities. So you can pass it down for generations. With a new baby in our home, I really wanted to be intentional about not just keeping everything digital, but having something for her to be able to show her children like I do with the photos of myself that I have. You can also personalize the preservation of their biggest milestones. It also has seamless panoramic photo spreads, and it's honestly the most meaningful gift that you can make. It has a lot of intention behind it, and people who receive this gift will really feel it. It's a display-worthy cover designs for wedding, travel, family, and general themes. It's handcrafted through time-honored techniques. It's made with sustainably sourced materials, including recycled letter cover option and marble end sheets produced by female fair trade artisans. 
It has an inlaid cover photo that adds a preview and personality to the exterior, professional grade quality without a prohibitive price tag, and it's made in the US. There are so many different types of photo albums and photo books that you can do, but that's the one that I chose. That's the one I felt the most to. And honestly, you can have so much fun with this, whether it's for a girl's trip, weekends at the lake, a trip to the park with your littles, a book for grandparents filled with pictures of their grandkids, which seems to be what my parents ask for every single year, a wedding album, birthdays, travel, a year in review, or a honeymoon album. Whether these moments are bigger and small, you can truly encapsulate them into something that can be passed down for years and years to come, not just staying in a digital world. I highly encourage you to go and check out Artifact Uprising is dedicated to honoring the meaningful in your life. So this holiday season, they're giving Papaya listeners 15% off holiday photo gifts. They'll enjoy year round with the promo code papaya. That's artifactuprising.com slash papaya to purchase. One more time, that's 15% off holiday photo gifts. You'll enjoy year round with promo code papaya. Artifactuprising.com slash papaya to purchase. Now let's get back to today's show. And action. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah Gretzky. And I'm Natalie Buck. And together, we are the Net Chicks. We're here to talk anything and everything on screen, including what your favorite celebs are up to. And if you want to know what shows we are absolutely loving and hating, well, thank God, because we will be unpacking for you every single Thursday. So grab your Netflix and some popcorn because the chicks are coming. And scene. How do we move through or what are some sort of things that you've kind of learned along the way that people are really struggling when it comes to food? Is it all around, is it all around the fear of fat? Is it more than that? Is it like, where, where have you seen people really grapple with um, the discussions around food and their kind of realizations as they come through this work? Yeah. I, such a great question. I mean, some of the most common things that I hear from women are, I feel out of control around food. Like I either have to control myself or I'm not in control around food. Um, another thing that I hear is I just don't, I don't know how to eat anymore. Like, should I be intermittent fasting? Should I be cutting out carbs? Should I be having protein? Who should I be listening to? There's so much information out there. Another thing that I really commonly hear which wasn't my own experience personally, but that seems to be a personal experience of a lot of women is I grew up with a mom who was dieting or who hated her body. And I've heard this dialogue since I was little, this voice in my mind that tells me I don't like my body. I don't, I don't even know if that's mine. I think that was actually my mom's voice. And so with this one, I always say, our moms were swimming in the same water that we're swimming in right now. And they were just doing their best to be good women themselves, according to what society told them that they needed to be. And so we can hold a lot of compassion for our mothers and the generations before us. Yes. I say and the same also, thing. Like right? we are, like, we are the cycle breakers, yes. but it's not their fault. I, I find it fascinating how many conversations start with, well, my mother. And it's like, well, what about your mother? What is she going through? What made her feel right. like, what made her move through motherhood in a way that feared what your world would be if you were larger than a size 12? What 
embedded that into her and then take her childhood and her mother. And what was important to them? Well, back then it was all about, you've got to look a certain way by when your husband comes home or he will be stressed out. He will be unhappy. Your entire purpose is to make sure that he is happy and taken care of. So make sure if you read old, like how to be a housewife thing, it was like, make sure the children are clean. Make sure they're quiet. Make sure your lipstick is fresh. Make sure this, make sure that. It's no wonder, like, it is not our mother's fault. This is literally a generational by generational system that has been flowing towards how to make men incredibly comfortable. And, you know, I wrote a post a couple years ago that was stemmed off of a conversation that I had with somebody, and I've been thinking about posting it again because I'm like, every time we go through this, and anytime I talk about, like, you know, you're deserving of a change in your body your partner is like, is to love you. And somebody wrote me and was like, you're lucky. You're lucky that you have a man that's okay for you to change weight. My husband tells me that I need to lose weight or he doesn't know where our marriage is going to go. And I'm like, lucky? That's not luck. This is worth. Like you are, you are not like, this is my point I was making. It is not our discomfort to work through for somebody else. If somebody's uncomfortable with your body, that's a them problem. That's a you problem. It is not a me problem. It is not my problem to fix myself if you're uncomfortable being around me, especially if every aspect of our relationship is here and present and willing. And you're like, but I don't like what I'm looking at. Therefore, our relationship is no long, is now unstable. It is unworthy. This is not luck, women. This is not luck to have a man who is like, oh, you're okay to, to gain weight because you had a child or because you're in a season or because that's what your body is safely adapting to world and food like. If somebody like holds your body over your health in terms of your value in this world or in a relationship, like I don't want to say go dump him. But I also want to be like, you need to hold your ground here. It is not your problem to work through. It just, I don't know why we've been made to feel like we are a problem to fix. And that if somebody else is uncomfortable with what they see, that that's somehow our issue to change. Now I will say like in terms of even those living in larger bodies, it's this is what happens when you lose weight. And I, I went through this when I went from plus size into a straight size. There's a level of relief that happens because you can move through the world in a different way. People do open doors for you. You can shop in certain places. There's a massive amount of relief and people treat you differently. And then the day comes where you realize you're the same person you've always been. And suddenly you turn around and you're like, fuck you to everyone because you're like, I have been this person all along and you chose not to see me. You chose to not let me shop in your stores. You chose to not have rides with seats that were made to fit me. You did this. This wasn't me. I've been here all along and I've changed myself to fit into your world instead of the world becoming safer for everybody and more welcoming for everyone. And so while it's a big, 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 worldwide systematic issue right down to like your core, who you are, it is not up to you to fix it. It's not you to fix. The world is broken, but that doesn't mean you have to break yourself in order to fit into it. And I think when it comes to this and, and, you know, you said a lot of people will come into these things with you because they look at you and they, they feel a sense of safety because they're like, okay, she resolved her problems with food and she's still thin. 
How do we, um, does this come up a lot where people do feel that level of safety because you are thin that they could maybe come into a relationship with food that doesn't involve fatness? And, and how do we work through that conversation in a, in a safe and respectful way for those in all bodies? Okay. So first of all, I feel like everyone just needs to push pause and then rewind and listen to everything Sarah said (laughs) like five or six times, (laughs) write it down on a piece of paper for yourself. Maybe just, um, pop that clip somewhere where you can listen to it once a week. It was so beautiful and profound and important. So, okay. First of all, I want to say sometimes in the world of body acceptance and self-love, I hear people saying, I want to lose weight, but I feel guilty for wanting that Mm. because I feel like I shouldn't want that and I should just love and accept myself, but I'm actually not happy in this body right now. Yeah. Or I recognize that, or even like I recognize my, you know, behaviors aren't healthy and I want to get healthier. Yes. And so I just want to say in the raw beauty community, and I feel like in your community as well, Sarah. You are welcome if you want to lose weight, if you're struggling to find self-love, if you're fully loving yourself, if you're an intuitive eater, if you are dieting currently, I hold so much space and compassion for everybody, no matter what stage you're at. And of course, you know, living in this world that we live in, it's somewhat normal, unfortunately, that we want to change the way that we look, whether that's weight or I've had so many moments, especially after having kids where I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh my God, who is that right there? Like around aging or whatever it is. So just again, this practice of self-compassion is so powerful of holding space for yourself and some compassion, no matter where you're at in the journey. Now, when people start the raw beauty reset. The first conversation that we have is around diet culture, the messages that we receive, why we feel like we need to lose weight, why, what thin privilege is, what fat phobia is. And we just really pull back the curtains on this world that we're living in. And we say, you know, it's okay if you want to lose weight, but if we go about it, doing it in a traditional form of dieting, here's the reality. Like 70% of you are going to be back where you are right now with some sort of disordered eating, probably gaining weight. And there's nothing wrong with gaining weight. Let's be crystal clear. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's probably not your goal. If you're like, it's just, we've got to understand the reality of dieting and of these things that aren't considered diets always, but that really are like clean eating and a healthy, clean lifestyle and all that, the wellness diet. Um, I would highly recommend for anybody who's listening right now, who's been nodding their head and is like, this is where I'm at to read the book anti-diet by Christy Harrison. It's brilliant. And she has so many amazing tools in that book, um, that are really supportive while also, shining the light on the shit show that we're all swimming around in. Well, and I got to say, like, as somebody who's gone through a weight loss journey, like, I just feel like anybody who's seeking any type of body change, I don't think like adding to the pile of shame is the right answer. I think creating safety in their decision-making is potentially a really good idea. Like, this is me talking out loud a little bit, but I mean, if I go back and I look at what I did, if you created shame around me finding a safe way to enter into different relationship with my food, even if my goal is weight loss, 
and that I didn't have access to that, well, guess what I did? I downloaded an app that told me to eat a certain amount of calories like a toddler, going to bed every night hungry, eating pickles because it was the only calories I had left in the day, and doing some really messed up stuff. Adding shame to that of, oh my gosh, I can't believe you want to lose weight, would only make me go deeper into hiding. So this is where it's like incredibly uncomfortable sometimes to have these conversations. But I think they're important because there's a lot of people who are like, okay, I'm all about the body acceptance. I'm all about it. But like, is it wrong that I'm still like, I do have this bit of goal. I don't feel comfortable in my body. I don't feel like I'm in my right self. I feel like I have a really, you know, upset relationship with everything. And it would be nice if I lost a few pounds, where did they safely land? Like, where can they possibly go and learn relationship with food? If it's not an effing diet that they're going to Google, which is going to put them into the same cycle over and over again. So I do think it's important to acknowledge that we can't change that people are going to seek weight loss. That is, but it is problematic that people are creating uh, systems or, or programs, I should say, that profit off of that or that do it in a way that is as small as you can get and, you know, as much hustle as you can put into it. And like, if you just believed in yourself a little bit more, maybe you would be that size. It, it's a very broken narrative and there's not a lot of safe places for women to land these days, which is, I think, why we've seen such a rise in and why we really hold so much respect for, you know, these anti-diet nutritionists and dietitians and doctors, even like Dr. Joshua Walrick, who kind of like goes to bat against diet culture. And he's a doctor, so we listen to him. He's a man, so we listen to him a little bit more. Talk about somebody using their privilege and he's, you know, in a, in a thinner body and he's gone through weight loss. We have to hold space for these things. We have to show up and support each other, knowing that, you know, even somebody in my community, if they went ahead and decided to get all their stretch marks removed and get a full tummy tuck, like I will literally come and change your drains for you if you need me to. The last thing you need is me piling on to something that you've already made a decision with. Body autonomy is there for a reason. We are going to make the wrong decisions sometimes. And the the first and last thing we need is support straight up. Now I'm never going to support somebody in harming themselves. So how can I support somebody in, you know, showing up in a better way? And I, and I think that this is what I love about what you've done is you've really created a safe environment for people to come in and safely learn about food, safely learn about their body, safely discuss food, their fears around it, their fat phobia. Let's get real with all of this. And then let's like acknowledge that maybe we bought into this program because you are thin and it makes me feel like I can safely exist around food and still be in a thin body. Even if we know that's incredibly problematic, that's where we're at. That's where we are in the learning journey. And we're looking to get out of that, but there needs to be stepping stones in between. Yes. I think one thing that I say loud and clear about this program is that this is, it's not a weight loss program. Like if I could not talk about weight and this program together, that would be my ideal. It's a non-diet approach to health and wellness. And it's based on four key pillars, nourishment, movement, mindset, and self-love. What's happened in the world of health and wellness is it has become so tied to being about the size of our body. Oh but my gosh. And then what beings. I eat in a day stuff, yeah, like they're yes. the biggest videos and people are literally following them thinking that somebody who is genetically looking a certain way, it's based oh on what the, these, these six meals that they apparently eat and put together in a day is the reason that they're that size and shape. Like, no, no it's their DNA, man. It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, so often when we talk about this, 
beginning of the program, like what does health and wellness mean to you? For yeah. so many people, it's immediately tied to the way that they look and their weight. But this program is really about the inner work and every human being deserves to feel healthy and well. Now, is that going to be a reality for everyone? No, because people struggle with mental health. They struggle with disease. Mm, They struggle with disorders. Like we can't always be healthy and well in our lives. There's going to be seasons when perhaps we aren't that way and that's okay as well. Yeah. But if you're wanting to feel more energized, like you're able to think more clearly, like you're able to show up in to live life in the way that you want to, i.e. playing with your kids, getting to work and doing what you're passionate about, creating things that feel good for you, making your space feel um, like it's representative and, and comfortable for you. All the, the components of living a big, beautiful life. You, you want to have the energy and the mindset and the space to be able to go out and do that. So when I say I would like this program to not be tied to weight is because it's about allowing you to step into your strength as a woman, to be able to show up in the way that you show up, your weight will figure itself out somewhere along the way, as you start nourishing your body in a way that feels good, which includes Twizzlers for me and chips here and there, and like all of these beautiful foods, but we don't focus on the weight one way or another. In fact, I really encourage people to step away from the scale throughout the course of the program. I always say you can have it back at the end if you really missed it, but let's just push that to the side because that's not the focus right now. And I need people to be able to hear their body, to be able to reconnect with their hunger and fullness signals, to be able to listen to what brings them joy in life or what makes them more anxious. And when we're constantly looking outside of ourselves at all these external factors, and we're looking to other people to tell us that we're doing good or bad or right or wrong, we stop listening to the one thing that can direct us most clearly into our healthiest, happiest space. And that's our body. And our unique body is always talking to us. It's always sending us signals and, and messages. And so really learning to tune into that, learning to eat intuitively, learning to move in ways that are joyful versus just punishing our bodies, um, learning how to navigate the flow of thoughts that are moving through our mind all of the time to identify the ones that are perhaps harming us a little bit, or the ones that are really helping to heal and empower us and move us into a space of more love, um, learning how to, to navigate those and work with those. And then ultimately, when we start to combine all of these things that we know about ourselves and we start to honor those things throughout the day, we're, we find ourselves living from a space of self-love. And from there, everything, everything in life starts to shift. Well, I have to kind of end us on this note of really, really bringing it home to the fact that we were taught to not trust our bodies. If you look at the language um, that we we have around bodies and that diet culture taught us, it's all about control. It's all about, you know, um, I actually, I actually recently, maybe I can find it. Hold on. We, the words that we use around our bodies are stubborn, extra, scarred, pesky, control. These are all words that have made you feel like if you look on the cover and it's like those pesky five pounds, you know, that stubborn extra weight on your body, you know, get that self-control you've always looked for. 
every single one of them are a word that causes you to mistrust your body. We have been trained to think that our bodies are against us. We've been trained to think that we are somehow in this battle zone with our body. And if our bodies would just listen, and this is like, you know, disease and stuff aside, because obviously in a time like that, it's a, it, it feels, mu- and it is much more combative, but in a day-to-day general healthy um, body, we have been taught and it's been ingrained in us to not trust it. So you can imagine the level of fear that people move into when it comes to listening to their body for the first time, hearing what it has to say, understanding that, you know, even if we all ate and drank and did all the same things that we are always going to look different, that we are designed to look different that way. And I kind of want to tail off on like this one final question for you, because as somebody who, you know, has moved through eating disorders, disordered eating, and finding like intuitive trust with your own body. Recently, somebody in my world um, has really changed in their appearance and has a history with disordered eating. And it did kind of raise flags for me. And I don't even know how to show up for that person how would you say that we can show up? Because my biggest thing is just don't comment on people's bodies. So I just haven't, I just have not said a thing, but there is that part of me. And especially somebody who grew up witness to somebody who, with a, a decade long anorexia, bulimia, that, that does make me like, am I doing the right things? How do I show up for somebody that might be struggling? Or if there's somebody in my world that I can just I don't know how to support them. What would you What would you say to us who are maybe also, you know, working through mistrust potentially for our own bodies, but also witnessing somebody else in our world and wanting to figure out how to support them? What would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful, like, I love the idea of all of us not commenting on one another's bodies, whether it's around somebody looking great or looking exhausted or looking sick. I love that concept and fully promote it. However, when you notice somebody looks like they're struggling and you know that they've had a history with disordered eating, even if they haven't had that history with disordered eating, I think that it's still appropriate to check in with them. And it doesn't have to be, I noticed that you're looking really thin. We can just say, I, you know how much I love you and care about you. And I just wanted to check in to see how you're doing, like really, and to hold that space for them and to open the door. Now, eating disorders are complicated and very powerful. And it's almost like there's this second voice in the person's brain and, and they're, it's very conniving. So that person might say, no, I'm totally fine. What are you talking about? You're being weird. And you might find them pull away, which is something that a lot of us fear. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of being there consistently, consistently checking in. Like I said, I, when I was struggling with my eating disorder, I was in denial for a long time. I did push people away. And then there was a moment when I went to that person that I felt like I could really talk to, to open up. And that was my mom. So she'll know that you're there. She'll know Mm. that, you know, things are, uh, that you're paying attention, that you see her. And so just continuing to hold that space for the other, for the other individual. Thank you so much for, you know, talking us through everything from, you know, your hospitalization into your own health journey. You know, we we chatted about our complicated relationships with food. We uh, talked about, you know, not having to earn our crunchy bars with crunches and how every season truly does have a diet. 
Um, we talked about your program, Raw Beauty Reset, and why health and wellness really shouldn't be tied to weight. Where can everyone find you and everything that you're doing as we kind of move through this conversation into a place of how can I trust my body a little bit more? Maybe this is something that I want to look into. Where can we go and do that? Come hang out with me on Instagram at Raw Beauty Talks. And I also have a free webinar called The Five Steps to End the Battle with Food in Your Body. So I'll make sure that you have the link to that. Maybe we can just pop it in the show notes. Um, That sort of walks people through a little bit more of a step-by-step guide um, now that they know a little bit about my why and and why I'm showing up in this way. But Instagram's our main jam and rawbeauty.co. Thank you so much, Erin. It's been such a delight to have you on to catch up. We haven't seen each other since the back, the back, what was the back room of backstage? Um, backstage that's In, the word I'm looking for of the friggin' Caitlin Bristow's tour. So My gosh. Good. What so a great You've night. had a baby since then. You're just crushing I it. I can't take that much tequila anymore. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that was an evening. Everyone kept buying a shot. If I can't even listen back to that podcast because I literally slur the whole time. Um, no, it was so fun. No, it was such a great time. I can't wait to see you out in the world. But honestly, it's been such a delight to sit and chat with you here today and find out everything you're doing. And for everyone listening, we're going to have those things in the show notes for you. Um, think about how you trust your body. Think about how we've been taught to mistrust our body. And I hope today you just make one decision, just one, just one little thing, a pause, a reflection, and a moment just to say, maybe my body isn't against me after all. And uh, how can we move forward in a way that's maybe better for all of us and healthy in a way that is not tied to our weight. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.